Hi everyone, Nate Green here, and I'm so grateful to be a pastor here at Calvary Church. At Easter, also known as Passion Week, we lift up Jesus as the ruling, risen, and returning King. Consider which of the following events you can come take part in this week at Calvary. Tonight, join us for Biblical and Cultural Insights by Ron Davis on Passion Week through Jewish Eyes. On Thursday night, come remember the Last Supper and gain a deeper understanding of God's redemptive grace through our annual Passover Seder. Tickets are just $25 and they're available online. On Friday night, reflect on Christ's sacrifice and remember all He has done for us at our Good Friday communion service over in the worship center. On Saturday, you can volunteer and help us reach out to the community over at Cabrillo Park for a fun-filled morning that includes Easter egg hunts, live music, and even a gospel presentation. And then it is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return are worth celebrating as truly good news. This is the gospel that is still changing lives. Who can you reach out to to invite to join you here at Calvary to hear the good news and experience the hope, peace, and joy of life in Jesus' kingdom? Pick up a stack of invite cards in the lobby and help spread the word. For details on all of these things, check out today's current or check out our website at calvarylife.org and discover more about life here at Calvary. And good morning to you. Thanks to Nate Green, working with our fourth and fifth graders, as well as CalFit. If you want to get fit, come and join us on well, a few days each week. Yeah, us. Us in the generic sense. Not me. I don't go. But uh, I would encourage you to go. I think it would be good for you to go. So please don't let me be a stumbling block to your Cal Fitness. Anyways, I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell before I was heckled by Eric, and I uh, just want to let you know that we're glad to have you worshiping with us today. And if you're a guest today, we have this thing called the card. It's in the chair rack in front of you, and it's one of the ways you can communicate with us. Let us know of any questions you may have, information you'd like to have about various ministries, as well as prayer requests. We'd love to be able to engage and connect with you. And uh, at the end of the service, you want to take it up to our connection point there in the lobby. We have a free gift for you, and we'd love to be able to hear from you at that point as well. And check out our website, calvarylife.org. You can find out all the things that Nate just talked about that I might talk about, and uh, it's a way to follow up is to see what God is doing here at Calvary Church. I want to let you know that uh, one of the important aspects of Calvary is our reach around the world. We just finished up our conference here last week or so, and one of our missionaries is Moran, and he is serving in Israel. And uh, we want to pray for him as he's reaching out to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And it's kind of fascinating here on Palm Sunday. Uh, there were so many Jewish people, the religious leaders, that did not understand who Jesus is, did not know why he had come, as you will hear later on in the service. And uh, here is Moran over there, and there are still those folks there in Jerusalem who do not understand him, do not know why he came. So we're going to pray for Moran as he continues to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to uh, his fellow citizens and that God will bless that work. I want to pray for God's blessing upon our service today and also be mindful that there are some Egyptians that are grieving today. They had gone to their church. These Christian believers had gone to their church on Palm Sunday. In a variety of those churches, there were explosions of terrorism taking place and dozens and dozens have been killed. So we want to remember them as well as uh, we gather together here today. So let me pray for us. Father God, we look to you for this day. God, we're thankful for the work that you're going to do in our lives personally 
as we once again remember who Jesus is and why he came. And so, Father, I pray your blessing upon all of our lives as well as Moran and his family as they continue to bring the gospel both in word and deed so that others can know Jesus as we know him. We're thankful for him and for his heart and his desire to reach the people of Israel for the cause of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we're very mindful again that many of your children are suffering loss, death, terror, simply because they went to church and because they wanted to worship Jesus. And, Father, we pray that you would bring comfort to those who are grieving, those who have experienced such a terrible loss. God, it's just hard to understand around the world why there is a persecution of those who love you. And yet we realize that you too were persecuted when you came. So help us to remain faithful, bring comfort and encouragement to all who need it. As we look to you for this hour, as we once again come and worship you and remember your wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. Let's begin exclaiming the truth of God's greatness. Come on, sing. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all the sea, how great, how great is our God. Come on, let's stand together and sing, everyone. Sing it. How great.
Well, good morning, Calvary Churches. You can see we have some friends that have joined us up here. These are our elementary kids. Give them a round of applause. Yeah. And as you can see, they are holding up a palm leaf in their hand, and you hopefully got one on your way in. If you have one, would you please hold it up? If not, split it with your neighbor right next to you. Just kidding. Um, we're going to sing a couple of songs. These are Hosanna songs. Some of these might be familiar from when you were a little bit younger, uh, but they're going to join us and we're going to all lead worship together here. So sing out and let's do this all together. Here we go.
great were they awesome good job guys awesome awesome all right as they're exiting going back to the classes would you all have a seat and check out what's next the king has returned the prophecies fulfilled. The years of longing are over. The king has returned. And now all will be made right. Amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy. The pleading for justice. The cries for our enemies' defeat. The king has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice, not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land, but in our souls. 
He is the answer to the prayer we did not know we were praying. The king has returned. Long live the king. All right, good morning, Calvary Church. Uh, I am excited to be here for us to get into this story for today. As you've seen here, is, is this Palm Sunday and all that goes with it and what we're doing. We're kicking off this Passion Week as we are heading towards that Resurrection Sunday next week. And we've had like all of this uh, fun and kind of Maybe even feels odd, like waving a palm branch, but fun and joyful with the kids coming in and you're singing these words and you're singing Hosanna and shouting that out to God. And part of me wonders if we have any idea what it is that we're doing while we do that, right? And so I want to help us today to really get into this and know, okay, what does this all mean? What does this mean to sing Hosanna? What was going on at the time uh, when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem? And and so we're going to break that down. We're going to get into that. And I think it's going to help encourage us for how we live our lives today as well. And we're calling it misplaced expectations because that's a lot of what we see going on in this story, okay? Is that there are people that are seeing what's happening and they're having an expectation that is just a a misplaced one. Uh, So as we look at it, I encourage you to grab, if you haven't already, there's a notes page in your bulletin and you'll see it gives like a little bit more detail on some of the stuff we're talking about. Uh, And it shows you hear both on the screen and you see here in the bulletin that there were, there's four different accounts of this story of Palm Sunday, right? Uh, of the triumphal entry, as it's also called. And it's in all four Gospels. The story's in all four of them. Matthew, Mark, who's influenced by Peter, uh, Luke, and John. All eyewitnesses to what has taken place in this story. And what's interesting, even something I was reminded of just this last week at the uh, thing on Wednesday night, the training up the next generation class, the speaker, Brett Kunkel, had this great point that kind of helps us even in a moment like this, where you have four tellings of the same story that have some differences in them. And he was talking about how in eyewitness testimony, you actually don't want all, like if you had four different eyewitnesses, if all four told the very exact same thing, you would have a sense that they've gotten together and gotten their story straight, right? You want to have the same substance of the story with uh, like different flavors and different like bits here and there, where the the same core of the story, but uh, these differences. And that's what we have in these four accounts. And we're going to look into all four. I'm not just going to read all four of them verbatim, but we're going to read some of them and see some of the uniqueness. But as we do that, I want to have this image up here on the giant big screen behind me. And this image uh, is of the Mount of Olives. This is where this story takes place in Jerusalem, in Israel. And this hill that you see just kind of covering this, this whole screen is the Mount of Olives. So back a couple thousand years ago would have been all olive trees. There are many olive trees, but you can see some different ones. And then up at the very top where those buildings are, the top of the screen, it's kind of like where Jesus would be coming up and over the hill and starting to descend down towards us, down the Mount of Olives. You can even see a bit of a road on the left coming down, and you could walk down uh, a path today, even as you would come down the Mount of Olives, to that large church in the very center of the screen, that large 
large church is this church of the Garden of Gethsemane. And so that area would be where the Garden of Gethsemane was. Now Gethsemane or Gethsemane is, means olive presses. So it was this garden of many olive presses that were for all of the olives off the trees on the Mount of Olives. Okay, so you have all of that there. Olive, that, no pun intended. Uh, and then you've got... <laughs> Terrible pun. Enjoyed. Uh, and then uh, you've got like, basically at the bottom of the hill, sort of along that road, but a little farther to the right, is what would be called the Kidron Valley. And then just to the right of what's on the screen, uh, to your right on the screen, would be the Temple Mount. That's right where the Temple Mount is, just barely off screen to the right. The Temple's right there. So Jesus would be coming down, and then you just barely go up a little bit to the right, and that's where the Temple is. So see this. This is This is the actual setting of this story. So uh, you can turn in your Bibles or you can just look at the uh, screen and listen to Matthew 21. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 1. When they'd approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, they've come from Jericho, by the way, is where they're coming from. And they'd come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now Matthew is the only account that talks about more than one animal. Okay, so you've got the donkey and the colt. This is, he's the only one that talks about two different animals. So that's a, that one flavor difference. And this is where you see Jesus is just basically a baller. Verse 3, he says, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. You know, it's just like, All right, we're going to go. We're going to get these donkeys. And just if anybody says anything, just be like, Jesus says, you know, all right, fine. And that's what happens. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion. Now this part in these all caps, if you're looking at your Bible, this is from Zechariah 9.9, a prophecy spoken of this moment. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going on ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We'll get more into this, but as you can see in your notes, Hosanna means save us now. Give salvation now. That's what they're crying out. And we're going to talk about what kind of salvation. When he'd entered Jerusalem, it says all the city was stirred. So there's a buzz going on. There's something happening in the city. People are, are talking about this, wondering what's going on? What's the deal with Jesus coming in like this? And what's happening here? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, so that's the Matthew account. Now, if you can, turn to Mark 11. Mark 11 is just the next uh, telling of this story. And in Mark 11, it starts a lot the same. He's coming up and over the hill. And this time he just says to his disciples, go and you'll find a colt, the foal of a donkey, right? You'll find that. Bring it. Only mentions the one animal. They do it. They come along. And then verse 8. 
chapter 11, verse 8 says, And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches. Which you can see he's talking about these leafy branches, aren't necessarily palms, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then this little line is a little bit different. It's an ad that we didn't see in the other one. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Blessed is the coming king of our father, David. He's saying, hey, remember when Israel was kind of the best, right? We were on top as a nation. Remember that in the kingdom of David? We want that again. That's what we're crying out for. The coming of, our, of the kingdom of David, of our father David. And he says, Hosanna in the highest. And then it says Jesus went to Jerusalem. Then he left again, came back the next day, and drove out all the money changers and all of that. Now we go to Luke. Okay, so flip over to Luke 19. Luke 19 is the next telling, and it just has a couple subtle differences. It starts off, most of it's all the same, of Jesus coming up and over. He sends the disciples off to get the donkey. They come back. They're doing it. People are throwing their cloaks in the road. And all that, verse 37 then says... As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. This is the first time we see this bit of emotion here, right? That this is a joyful thing. They're excited. They're, they're celebrating. The, the crowd has joy. And it says, with a loud voice, for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And in this Luke account, it kind of gives you a flashback to Luke 2 of the angels and glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He says, peace in heaven, glory to God in the highest here. And then the Pharisees get mad and they tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples for what they're doing in this moment. And Jesus says, even if I did, even if they stopped, the stones would cry out. Like, this is going to happen. You can't stop it. Uh, and so then now that takes us to John. Okay, John 12. Turn to John 12, and we'll be in this one a little bit more. But John 12, uh, just the chapter previous, chapter 11, is where Lazarus is Jesus' friend, right? And he dies. Lazarus, di- Lazarus dies, and Jesus is, is uh, overcome with emotion. And in, in the easiest verse in the whole Bible to memorize, John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. Okay, that's... If you need to memorize a verse today, you know, that, that can be your easy, easy go. Jesus wept. And then uh, after that, what happens is Jesus comes and then raises his, him from the dead. Lazarus was in the tomb, and Jesus comes and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes back from the dead. Jesus brings him out, and people are starting to hear about this. This is a big deal. If you ever wonder, you know, these, these miracles and all that, did it make a stir? Yes, it does. John 12, 9. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So these people are coming out, and they're not just coming out to see Jesus. They want to see the dude that was dead and is now alive again. Show me that guy. And so they're excited about that. I I would be too. But not everybody's excited. Verse 10. But the chief priests planned, check out the level of like willingness to protect power instead of seek truth. The chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. 
with the guy that just got raised from the dead. They want to kill him because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. And so now part of the crowds that were for that are coming next. Verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd who'd come to the feast of Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm. Okay, finally we get there. They took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here's a little tack on, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, he doesn't go into the whole thing of sending the disciples and all that. He sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, Zechariah 9.9, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things, check, these things, his disciples did not understand at the first. Who's writing this? John, one of the disciples, right? Like he's talking about himself. We didn't get it. He's admitting it. And that, but when Jesus was glorified, so after the resurrection, and then he ascends into heaven, then they get it. Then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also, the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign— Now, hear this one line again about the Pharisees, these religious leaders. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. They're losing their control. They're losing their power. And they're realizing they've got to take this whole thing kind of up a notch. And you're going to see them begin to want to take Jesus out. So we've seen all these accounts, right? All these four different stories. The core is the same, but it just has a little bit of different flavor and add-ons that you see that one person saw and and thought it was worth mentioning and another one saw and all of that. So we see all of that coming to life, which brings, I think, added flavor and, and help for us, but also helps us to know that this is true testimony in that kind of a way. So the question that I want to ask us here is this. Who did they, the people there at the time of this story, who did they expect Jesus to be? As this is happening in this moment, who did they expect Jesus to be? As they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. As they shout that, what are they expecting of Jesus? So we'll look at a few different people. First, let's talk about the crowds. The crowds of just all these people that are coming around. They are really expecting something of Jesus. They believe that he is Messiah. But what they believe Messiah will do is maybe different than what we would think. It's like they're expecting this earthly king, a deliverer from the Roman occupation. All right, so what they are expecting is that Jesus is coming in now and he is going to help free the people of Israel from the Roman Empire who has occupied their land. So that's what's going on. I mean, the, the strongest empire in the world is, has dominated them, has cr- conquered them, and is, uh, is occupying where they live. And they aren't just doing that even in a military way and in this physical presence sort of way. They're also trying to influence this, the people of this land of Israel uh, towards the gods of Rome and towards the style of entertainment and luxury and alluring them away from the life of simplicity and devotion 
devotion to Yahweh God. And, and so they want to be delivered from that. They want to be saved and rescued. And it would not be the first or even the second time that that's actually happened for them. I mean, you think back to what the Passover feast is about, was being delivered from slavery and bondage to Egypt. Then, you know, so now they've, they've seen other times, and I'm going to tell you about in a second here, but what they're doing here in this moment as they say these words of Hosanna, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, all of that. They're singing a part uh, of a portion of the Psalms called the Hallel. Come on, be, say Hallel. Oh, all right, all right, let's get a little easy Hebrew in there. Okay, now Hallel just means praise. Praise. It's, it's the section of Psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. So that section of the Psalms is called the Hallel. And this section would be sung as the people are going to Jerusalem for different feasts. Okay, so as they are going for the Feast of Sukkot, or we call the Feast of Tabernacles, as they're going to the Feast of Dedication. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a moment. As they're going to Passover and other moments as they approach Israel, or as they approach Jerusalem and the temple, they would sing the Hallel. And now, I don't know if you realize this, but they didn't have any PowerPoint screens as they were going, right? They didn't necessarily have even hymnals back then. Uh, you know, even the scriptures are just written on these, these big scrolls that are pretty few and far between. The people knew the words by heart. Okay, you've got to understand that. They know the words. They sing these not once, not twice, but more than like several times a year. They're coming and singing these as they approach the temple. These are words that they know. And, the, and what they're saying to Jesus is a part of the Hallel. Psalm, and it's actually just almost the very end of that Hallel section. It's Psalm 118, 25 to 26. And it says this. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Okay, the house, the temple, from the house of the Lord. Those words sound familiar? That's Psalm 118, 25 to 26 is really what they're saying here. The NIV helps with the, the first verse here. It just says, Lord, save us. Lord, give us success. It kind of makes it a little easier to understand there. But Lord, save us. Give us salvation now. That's what Hosanna means. We, we want salvation now. And they don't mean, please, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins so I can go to heaven. That's not what they're saying. That's not even anywhere in their minds at all. They are saying, save us from the situation that we're in. Save us from the Roman Empire. We need, your, we need you to come and save us now. And so when they're waving their palm fronds, as they're waving these branches in the air, it, it even describes it a little bit more because the palm was a symbol of nationalistic pride, of, of nationalistic victory or triumph even. It would have been waved at different sort of celebrations of the nation of Israel as they celebrate victory. They would wave the palm. And uh, even uh, a little bit later, uh, during the time of the Jewish revolt and the whole destruction of the temple, it's about 
66 to 70 AD, so maybe 30 years or so later, after the story that we're talking about today, uh, the zealots and others even had coins. Uh, these were like, nas- like national coins from that time that had palm branches on them, palm trees on them, that this palm tree was a symbol of independence of the nation of Israel. This is uh, our nation, and we are going to kick out these occupiers. And all of this is not new. I talked about the Egyptians, but there's also was a time uh, just like about a couple hundred years before this where the people of Israel actually pulled all this off. They were attacked. The nation of Israel was attacked by uh, a Greek ruler and the Greeks, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. And so they come in and they attack Israel. They occupy them. And then they come in and they actually— put a statue of Zeus in the temple of God and sacrifice a pig in the temple of God to that statue of Zeus. If you know anything about Jewish kosher laws, and you think about pigs, and you think about statues to false gods, and then you put all of that in the very temple of God, this has completely defiled the temple. This is uh, something that just can't stand. And so a group of people called the Maccabees rise up, and they, as a very long story short, defeat Antiochus Epiphanes, drive them out, and then they need to rededicate the temple of God. And so they go through a time of rededicating this temple because it has been defiled. And then part of that whole story is where there's this menorah that's lit in the temple. There wasn't enough oil, as legend tells it, for it to stay lit for, you know, until they were able to get more oil. And it stayed lit miraculously for eight nights. And so that's where you get the whole, this is the story of Hanukkah, okay? Is this feast of dedication of the temple. That's the core of really what the story should be about. Now, Part of what you learn in this book of Maccabees, there's a couple apocryphal books called First and Second Maccabees, not part of the canon, but are, it's helpful for historical uh, things like this, where you can see First Maccabees 13.51, it says this, On the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered it with praise and with what? palm branches, and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, and with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. And it's, this is all about that story that I just told you, about them defeating Antiochus Epiphanes and driving him out, and they waved the palm branches. Then in 2 Maccabees 10.7, it says this, Therefore, carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, okay? They offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. So that rededicating of the temple of God, part of all of this, of the celebration of defeating Antiochus Epiphanes and rededicating the temple, it's all with this celebrating with the fronds of palm. So they are wanting, when Jesus is coming into town, they're saying, Jesus do it again. We need you. We need you to be the king and to deliver us and to lead us in victory over these occupiers. That we need you to save us now. That's what they are crying out for. It's kind of like I would, I would relate it to us in America. Let's say we 
are defeated by another nation and occupied by that other nation. And we see someone coming in that will possibly be like the great leader that's going to take us, you know, and, and help us defeat this land that has occupied us. And as that person's coming in, we launch fireworks, right? We launch a bunch of fireworks to celebrate this person coming in because it's alluding back to our independence, right? And, and fireworks celebrate our independence. And so it's, it's almost like that, like how much we would even just connect fireworks to our independence. That's how they're connecting palm branches. Are you with me? Okay, here we go. So that's what's happening. They're wanting that to happen now. That's the crowd. Now we go to the disciples, the disciples, uh, we're going to just talk about these guys and the, the next ones just a little more briefly because we got the main core of it here. But the disciples, they just are such a great example of responding with obedience. They, you know, Jesus says, go get this donkey, you know, and, and you know, just basically Jesus is saying, go steal a donkey. And they're kind of like, okay, we're just taking the donkey now, you know. And he's like, if anybody says anything to you, just say, I told him it's cool. You know, you're kind of like, all right, Jesus says so. And you're like, I hope that's okay. You know, you don't. And so they're just responding with obedience and faith and just following what Jesus is asking them to do, even though they self-admittedly have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I love even in the sense of the, the veracity, that truthfulness of the story of the disciples being willing to say, look, we had no idea what was going on. <laughs> like if you're writing an awesome story about yourself, you're not putting all the parts probably where you're just a total idiot in the story, you know? And so it helps you to see that this story, again, is even more true. And so the, like, I just think we can learn from that humble obedience of the disciples. But then we get to the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees. Uh, often even in the Bible, if you read, sometimes it'll just say the Jews did this. And it's referring to the religious leaders of the time, not just like the whole ethnicity or something, okay? So that's what it's saying when it says the Jews in the scriptures. Now, these religious leaders, they are rejecting Jesus simply because of the threat that he is to their power structure and what they have established. And it's really tragic, the level, um, the, the things that they are willing to do to protect their power. It's pretty dark, right? Killing Lazarus, that's pretty dark. And so we have to just hear almost a little just side check for a moment of how do I ever let power influence you know, my, my faith in God or the way I express that. We can never let power corrupt, um, you know, like our beliefs and our, our, our practice of Christianity in this world. And so it's a warning there for us. Because this whole thing with all the way all these different people are acting, there's obviously some like tragic stuff or some misplaced stuff in that. But there's also a little bit, again, of this, uh, of beauty in the sense of their willingness just to lean in and move forward towards Jesus and taking off their cloaks and throwing them down in this act of submission before uh, a king, right? That they're submitting to Christ and wanting to, to worship him in some way, even though it gets pretty messed up. And we'll talk about how that gets messed up a little bit more in a moment. But I think where we have to go next is, okay, we've talked about how their expectation was misplaced. So what was, though, this moment actually about? What was going on here? Is Jesus a conquering king? 
or a suffering servant. And so to help with that, I've asked Ron Davis to come and share something that, that he shared with me. So, um, so as he comes up, just uh, I want to introduce him a little bit, though, that Ron Davis is not just the father of Matt Davis, which either makes you respect him or criticize him, depending on your point of view. Um, love you, buddy. <laughs> uh, but also... Uh, he is a Jewish man who has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and so now is living his life in this way. And has been part of Messianic congregations, part of churches like us here at Calvary as well. Has a degree from Talbot School of Theology in apologetics to the Jewish people. And also is now a missionary with chosen people missionaries to, uh, to share the, the story of Yeshua to the Jewish people. And so thankful that you're here. Long introduction, but yeah, thanks for being here. Ron, if you could share it with us. Yeah, let's welcome him. <laughs> thank, thank you. Share with us a little bit of, of what's this day about? What's, what's going on what, here? What's yeah. happening right now is, uh, as I listen to Eric uh, uh, laying all of this out, what's really happening right now, two things come to my mind. And one of those things has to do with what the Jewish people are expecting, what the crowd is expecting, and not only just the crowd, but the disciples themselves. They're expecting the kingdom to arrive. They believe that they have the Messiah in their midst. And so with the Messiah in their midst, when the Messiah comes, they have their own Jewish eschatology. And their Jewish eschatology tells them that certain things are going to take place when the Messiah comes. He's going to vanquish the enemies of Israel. He's going to establish the temple. He's going to ascend the throne of his father David and establish the, the messianic kingdom, the millennial kingdom at that time. And that's what they are looking for in their eschatological view of what is coming. And you know, in fact, if we think about what their Jewish eschatology was in the first century, and you think about what our eschatology is now today in terms of the return of the Messiah, they would be the same thing, very closely related. The only thing that they didn't see was a couple of thousand years of gap of time. They thought the kingdom is coming right now. And the reason they thought the kingdom was coming right now is because they thought that they had the Messiah in their midst. And one of the things that, as we're talking about this, we're talking about this, this Palm Sunday starts off Passion Week. Um, in the first century, it was a very significant day that this occurred. It was also on a Sunday. It happened to be on a Sunday, but was, what was really significant about it is that it occurred on that particular Sunday. It was also in, on the Hebrew calendar, the month of Nisan, and it was the 10th of Nisan. And that is very significant in Jewish culture, in Jewish law, because Moses told the Jewish people all the way back in Exodus, when they were getting ready to leave Egypt, when they were to take the Passover lamb that was to be sacrificed on the 10th of Nisan, you were to take this lamb, this lamb and separate it from the rest of the flock and observe it for the next four days to make sure that it's without spot, that it's without blemish, that it is a perfect sacrifice to the Lord. And so when Jesus, Yeshua, as we call him, is riding into Jerusalem, on this particular day, coming over the Mount of Olives and heading into Jerusalem, it is on the 10th of Nisan. 
And there is something very significant that happens in the next four days between the 10th of Nisan and the time of the crucifixion at Passover. And we're going to take a look at that this evening at 6 o'clock. We're going to have a special, and we're going to look at what happened during those four days between the 10th of Nisan and the 4th of Nisan because the Messiah is really put under the microscope. Uh, He is grilled by the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, all of the religious leaders in Israel, and we're going to see whether he stands up as the perfect sacrifice. There's a lot of content in that, and we'll unpack it this evening at 6 o'clock over in the fellowship hall. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ron. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, so I encourage you to come. Some of the details of that are on the back, too, of the outline to to be able to learn more about that because it's incredible that Jesus, yes, he's a king, but in this moment, Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is coming to be that Passover lamb, to be inspected and to be sacrificed. Now, what's, what I love, though, is it's kind of like that, we're singing that song, worthy is the lamb that was slain, but then it also says, worthy is the king who conquered the grave. He is the lamb and he is the king. He is the lamb in his sacrifice and he is the king in his resurrection. And Now, that's what he came to do. He came to bring that kind of deliverance. He came to bring peace, not to their land, but to their souls. And so their expectation was misplaced on what he was coming to deliver them from and what he delivers us from. And so the next question that we must ask then is, who do you expect Jesus to be? And what do you expect of him? So we see what these people expected of Jesus, how it was misplaced, what he came to do. So who do you expect him to be? What are you, you know, what are you believing about who Jesus is and what he comes to do for you now, in the here and now, as well as in eternity? There's a story, you see this verse on the screen, this Jesus took his disciples to this spot called Caesarea Philippi, and uh, it's a spot in the north of Israel, and there's a big rocky cliff face kind of up like this wall, and there's temples that are built to Roman gods out of that rock face. And it is in front of those that Jesus says to his disciples, you know, like, He's talking to his disciples about who are people saying that I am. And they're saying, you know, all these different things. Elijah, prophet, whatever. And Jesus says, okay. But who do you say that I am? And that question is being asked of each of you right now. In this moment. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter answered it well for kind of one of those moments in his life where he answered properly, right? Where Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, which means anointed one or Messiah. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so we all have to think about what expectations are we putting on Jesus and who is he in our lives? Because Jesus, yeah, he's the lamb, but he's the king. Jesus is the king. And these same people that went from shouting, Hoshiana, save us now. Even the king of Israel. They're saying that on Palm Sunday. And then later, less than a week later, they say, we have no king 
but Caesar. Crucify him. You see that just being thrown back and forth by the wind and the waves of whatever the kind of the hype machine is happening in that time. They're just going with whatever and then the religious leaders have swayed them away from Jesus into now they're all shouting, crucify him. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you just kind of waver back and forth with whatever culture or the world might say? Is Jesus King, Messiah, Redeemer? Is he the Savior of your sins or just the Savior of your circumstances? Who do you say that I am? We all have to process that today because it's so easy for us to place our expectations on him. But if we have right expectations of who he is, we won't be disappointed. We won't have this this sense that he's come to make my life easy. And then life is hard. And then we're frustrated to think God is absent. Because he didn't come to save your circumstances. That's not what it's about. If we expect Jesus to be the giver of money and health and happiness, we're kind of creating some sort of like declaration of independence, Jesus. You know, that he's come to give you life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, and that's, that's not what he's come to do. Now, the thing is, is that Jesus cares about you in the midst of your struggle. He is with you and comforting you and there for you and, and, and holding you up in the midst of all of this. But... You know, he didn't come to make life easy. He came to save you from your souls. He didn't come to give you freedom from a bad job. He came to give you freedom from the bondage of sin. He didn't come to give you a nice house, you know, the house of your dreams. He does come to provide for you. But in all ways that are opposite of just the ways that we expect all of this to be. And what's hard, what's really, really hard, is when we actually get this, we might get this cognitively, like we understand it in our minds. Okay, yes, Lord Jesus, I get that you, you know, what you came to do and not what you just came to give me, like nice things. But what's hard is then when life hits you, right? When something bad in life just smacks you on the side of the face. And there's a moment where, you know, it's either somebody's sick that's important to you or you don't have the money to pay the bills or there's a dream that you have. There's something that you hope for and want so bad. You don't know. Like, what is that? Okay, well, if I know that Jesus came to do all that, does that mean he's going to, like, help me in this stuff? Now, what I would say to you is, is Jesus is with you in that stuff, and he can help you in that stuff. But those are the wrong expectations to put on Jesus, for him to come through in those things of the flesh. That he has come with a perspective that is just so much more massive than that you could ever imagine. We have these blinders that we see what's in front of us, and we only see what's like right around us, even in the sense of our understanding of how time works and eternity and all of that. We are, we are stuck with blinders. And God sees so much more. And he wants us to trust in him for all of that. And that he will be with us in the struggles 
of today. So I encourage you to consider these things of what will you lay down? What are you willing to like kind of respond in some of the good way of laying your cloak before Jesus? What are you willing to submit to him? How does his kingship affect our actual lives? Him being king, what does that mean for how we live each day under his rule and reign? And that might even just be a good thing for you to sort of journal and process through or pray through this week of how does Jesus as king actually affect my life today. So I encourage you to pray through that. And if you are someone today who has not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I encourage you to do that now, today. We're going to have a time now of worship and of giving. We're going to have a chance right now. We're going to pray and our offering is going to be passed as we worship. That is a chance to practice this whole thing of submitting to him as the king of our lives, to worship him in that way. I encourage if, uh, if you want to come to the prayer points during worship time and after the service that we ask for elders and pastors, directors, other people and prayer counselors to be available at these prayer points as we worship. That if you want prayer for anything, but if you also want prayer specifically to respond to Jesus, that you say he is the Christ, the son of the living God, to do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we... Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us and all that you are doing, for sending your son Jesus, this amazing example, but not just an example, but for the sacrifice of the lamb that was paid. We are thankful and grateful people, and we want to respond then to you as the king of our lives. So we submit to you as we give We submit to you as king. As we worship, we submit to you as king and bow before you. As we live our lives today, Lord, may we submit to you as king, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let the king of my heart be the mountain when I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my home. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. Try it with me. Let the king of my heart be the mountain.
Let's stand together, please. Let's stand as we sing. Think of God's goodness. If you trust in Him, His goodness. You're never gonna burn. Never gonna let me down. You're never gonna die. Never gonna let me down. That's it. Come on, try. You're never gonna die. Never gonna let me down. You're never gonna die. Never gonna let me down. You're never gonna die. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, our King, is the servant, suffering King. We recognize him, worship him this morning. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. His hands, his feet, 
my Savior the cursed tree. Try I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus died and died for me. I see His wounds, His hands, His feet, my Savior, that cursing tree.
Amen. Amen. It is great to worship God together and to sing his praises. And we sing, we say, Hosanna, and we wave the palm branches. But hopefully we now know what in the world we're doing when we do it. And we don't place those wrong expectations upon Jesus for him to be a savior of our circumstances when he longs to be a savior of our souls. And so I want to encourage you again with those words that that Jesus spoke to his disciples there in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16 when he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I want you to be able to answer that question right now. And if you, if you feel like you've never answered that question with, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then you want to follow him and live your life under his rule as your Lord and King. Then I encourage you, don't wait. Do that now. And to come forward to these prayer points afterwards and pray with someone. I'll be out in the lobby. I'd love to pray with you as well. Just let's surrender ourselves to Jesus today. And for the rest, even to remember that now of like as we leave and as we're approaching Easter week and just as we encourage you even to invite people, there's cards out there to invite people to come next Sunday to hear the message of the gospel. Just encourage us that we want to share that beautiful, beautiful news with whoever is in our lives. So let's take that message out. Don't stop here. All right, let's pray. Again, Lord Jesus, you are our king and we want to live our lives for you. And we say that we believe that you are God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we want to live each day of our lives for you, for you as our king. And so, Lord, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would just impact hearts and minds here in this very moment. That if there are those in here that need to respond to you now, that they will come forward to receive prayer and to begin to live this life for you. And may we see many come to know you this week and next as we share the gospel, Lord, in this special season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go.